The following podcast is a production of Hardly Awesome Studios in association with the network. Find us at BICBP-radio.com. Everybody, welcome back to Cardboard Cave. But you thought we were gone forever. Wouldn't blame you. Wouldn't blame you at all. It's been uh, a year and a month, give or take, uh, which is hard to believe. Um, I'm not going to waste your time. I'm going to get right into some stuff I want to talk about. But hey, why has it been over a year since I've recorded? Well, um, I'm pretty sure I belly ached about it on the show a bunch, but I just haven't consistently played enough games to feel like I'm worthy of releasing a board game podcast. I'm still in the board game hobby. I still love board games and I still pretty much have a smile on my face every time I get to play one. I've, I've realized that about myself. You know, I could talk a big talk about, well, I guess I'll just have to give up my favorite hobby. Um, But the truth is, when I ever actually do get to play a game, I'm just in my happy place. I'm just... I'm just enjoying myself. Obviously, if it's a good, involved game, even more so. But just in general, just love playing games. So, I've I played a game uh, for the first time two days ago, then played it again last night. And I, I guess, spoiler, I enjoyed it enough and intrigued me enough that I was like, you know what, I'm going to record another episode of uh, Cardboard Cave. And I'm sure everybody who is subscribed, not that there are many to begin with, but everybody's probably un- unsubscribed by now. Um, I do still have Facebook and Instagram, actually, come to think of it. Gosh, I never post on there uh, for this page, but I've not been posting because I've not had any new episodes, but that's still a place to interact with me. And, um, you know, I'm going to pull up Instagram now because I forgot. Did I have, did I even have an Instagram for, um, for cardboard cave <laughs> i do oh man yep i do have an instagram for cardboard cave 151 followers who've heard nothing from me in ages sorry about that um so yeah instagram or facebook i will check them i do get notifications if somebody actually does comment on either of those pages so i will respond um and actually i've had someone who listens to our retro bliss podcast um reach out to me that uh they actually have been listening to the cardboard cave episodes and that you know thanks for reaching out um and uh i appreciate that and uh you're one of the reasons i decided to go and do another episode because hey if somebody's listening i enjoy talking about games if anybody's listening um so yeah we have uh a now four-year-old which is hard to believe because i remember um my oldest son who's now four was just born when i did the first episode of this which was terrible timing on my part i don't know what i was thinking uh but i remember he was a newborn and he's four now and we have a six month old um now as well so two boys and i mean obviously that's a huge reason that gaming has slowed way down but i gotta take ownership for part of it too you know i think i've talked about it on the show i'm just i'm not good at making things happen 
this is going to sound totally self-deprecating or whatever, but I'm not good at making things happen if I feel like they only benefit me, which isn't even true. My wife does genuinely love to play board games. She's just not going to be the one to really push for it. It's got to be me. Um, and I got friends who really love to play board games, but they kind of sort of depend on me, I think, to um, to bring it up. Well, I say that, but actually, um, my Kelby and Kurt, who've been on the show, or at least Kelby has, um, they're now playing more games and have spread the word to other people. I realize they're playing more games than I am now, so I guess I'm proud of that. Um, you know, that uh, I introduced my sister-in-law to board gaming probably close to 10 years ago, maybe even 11 years ago. I know I brought over a couple games when I was uh, trying to woo my now wife, because I'm sure that's, that works, you know, board games will definitely do that. And uh, yeah, and now she probably plays more games than I do. My sister-in-law does. So <laughs> uh, I guess, um, what is it? The the student has surpassed the, the master or whatever. Um, anyways, all that being said, that's why there's not been Cardboard Cave, because I've played games here and there, but I just don't feel like it's enough to put out a regular show. Um, but you know what? I, I'm, I'm just feeling motivated again. So here you go. I'm going to mostly talk about one game and sort of the genre that one game belongs to. I have some thoughts on the roll and write genre. Um, my thoughts have been complex and mixed and back and forth. I just have some thoughts. I'm not going to go super long. But real quick, I'm not going to go over every game I played since I last recorded because it was literally May of 2022. But I'm just looking at my list. I use the board game, the BG Stats app. And simply whenever I play a game, I just put in there where we played it, who it was with, and who won. Just to try to spark memories. Like, oh yeah, we were at the beach when we played that. Or, yeah, that was a fun night. You know, it's with my memory just being terrible, it just really helps. It really helps me keep up. So some of the highlights, um, Marvel United, um, Marvel United continues to be a game that intrigues me because it's so simple, but it changes so much when you start adding expansions in. Um, if you don't know anything about Marvel United, unfortunately, um, you can't get very much of it at the store. They did it through a Kickstarter, which still blows my mind. Um, but it's, it's a good game that simply gets better the more you add to it, so... If you can find it and some of the expansions in the store or online, you know, Amazon, Amazon does have a few of the expansions now. It's better than it used to be. Um, it is a cool game. It's a cooperative game. But let's see. Let's highlight some games most people haven't heard of. Mining Colony is one I played, you know, in the last couple months. Mining Colony is from Dr. Finn, Stephen Finn who made Biblios, which is one of my favorite games. It's a great little card game. But Mining Colony, and I'm not going to say much because I feel like I've probably mentioned it on this show before, but talk about packing a lot of game in a little box. If you're looking for a, a close to medium weight, I would say light to medium weight game, like light medium weight strategy game with a very minimal, very minimal amount of luck, Um that's probably more abstract than anything, but it doesn't feel like an abstract game, and that's why I enjoy it. But it packs so much game in a truly small box. Honestly, the box could have been twice as big easy. But I appreciate what it does with a minimalist, a sort of minimalist presentation. 
it's um it's just a satisfying game um yeah just check it out mining colony let's see dice miner is a fun little it's not really i mean it's sort of a dice game you do roll dice sometimes but the trick is it's got a mountain um <laughs> my brother-in-law kurt printed out a 3d mountain for me which is awesome but it comes with a cardboard mountain and there's just dice i think it's 20 dice stacked on this mountain and you can only pull the ones that are like on top that aren't wedged between other dice and so you're pulling them and then that makes other dice available and you're making combos and it's kind of like set collection it almost plays like a card game like a, a rummy type card game a little bit except it's using dice i really enjoy it it's a ton of luck um there's there's a lot of luck to it but it's a fun game um it's one if it sounds fun i think you'll enjoy it stella dixit universe now this game i don't really buy many party quote-unquote party type games but stella it uses it's called stella dixit universe because it uses the cards um the same similar art style as the dixit games and dixit if you're going to play a party type game that's one of my favorites but stella right now i'm almost enjoying more than dixit because it adds it adds an element uh from a game i used to love like very few party type games would I actually say I love. I like, you know, your your medium weight strategy games are my bread and butter. But there was a game called Compatibility. It's called Compatibility. It's an old big box, ugly party game, but it was fun. And the idea was you basically work with a partner in compatibility. And for example, if the word is bliss, you're ranking the cards in your hand based on the strength like it might show a, a husband and wife it might show a basket of strawberries it's just random real life pictures and you're basically ranking them which one shows bliss from strongest to weakest is basically how it works if i remember right stella uses this abstract gorgeous whimsical artwork and in it it's not a team game but you are trying to sync up with everybody else at the table and think what would everybody else associate with the word using this abstract art. And uh, it just works. It's fun. I really, really recommend Stella. It plays, I think, uh, three to six players. Um, and it's, you know, it's probably best with four, five, or six players, but I think it would work with any of those numbers. Nidavellir. Nidavellir, that's spelled N-I-D-A-V-E-L-L-I-R. Nid of Lear is a great game. It's a coin building game. Like you you have just a basic supply of coins and you're upgrading those coins just to get them higher values so you can buy better stuff. So it's got that going on mi mixed with blind bidding because you're bidding those coins to get the cards in the different taverns. But then these cards are where the scoring comes in. Like you just got the dwarves might score based on this. You know, these other cards score based on a different method. But it's basically set collection, along with this coin uh, coin uh, building thing. And it just really works so well. It, it seems more complicated than it is at first, because you see all these cards with the text on them. But it is such a smooth game once you get going. Um, if you just teach people the basic mechanisms, because the basic mechanisms are mechanisms are really simple. If you just teach those and then just try to explain the cards a little bit at a time as they come up, 
Oh man, it's a good game. It really is. Um, Dune Imperium. Gosh, have I have I played Dune Imperium? Like, have I talked about that on the show? Or have I only played that? Let's see. I can see when my plays were here. And I should be able to tell you. So my first play was in February. Yes, yeah, so I'm sure. I'm sure I talked about Dune Imperium on this podcast. All I'll say about Dune Imperium is it continues to be an incredible game to me. Um, I now own both of the expansions. I've only played with the first one, Ix. And it opens the game up a lot. It doesn't add a ton. It doesn't make it much more complex, a little bit, but not much. But it gives the game a different feel. Um, and I think it is an improvement overall. But at the same time, I appreciate Basic Dune. And I honestly think Dune would have just been one of the best games in my collection, Dune Imperium. There's tons of Dune games. Specifically, this is Dune Imperium. I think Dune Imperium would have been one of the best games in my collection, even if they didn't release any expansions. But the expansions are definitely pretty great, too, from what I can tell. So, um, yeah, Dune Imperium. Rise of X basically makes it... It makes it so the things that felt weak in the original game, like, like, oh, man, I've only got cards with this orange symbol in my hand. There's nothing I could do I want to do. Well, now there's more things you can do with that symbol, for example. Um, or, like, I got a ton of spice. I don't know what to do with it. It feels like there's more to do with that now. Like, there's more ways to earn spice. There's, it kind of fleshes out the, the parts of the game that maybe felt like they were... Not afterthoughts. I don't think there was anything in the original game that was broken at all. But there were parts of the game, like the Spice, despite how important it was, really the Spice was pretty simplistic in the original game. The way you get Spice is now fleshed out um, significantly. And there's now something totally brand new that you could only get with Spice. And that's technology tiles, which are simply abilities. They're bonus abilities you get to keep the whole game and you can only buy them with Spice. So you have something brand new to do with Spice. And you have slightly more involved ways to earn Spice. Besides just, uh, you know, the basic ways picking it up off the board. Um, yeah, it's, I don't think it's a necessary expansion. But I do think for a lot of people, once you've played the basic Dune Imperium several times, you're really going to appreciate what the expansion brings. Uh, Biblios, I mentioned, I just think it's a great game. Um, it's Biblios reminds me of For Sale, if you've played that game. For Sale is a brilliant card game that plays up to six players. Biblios is two to four players. But it basically is so simple. It's a game that has two halves. In the first half of Biblios, you are, it's called, um, oh, what do they call it? The gift phase, the gift phase. It just depends how many players you're playing. Let's, let's say you're playing a three-player game. In a three-player game, you're going to get to draw four cards because there's always one card you keep for yourself. It's your, it becomes your hand. There's one card you put in the auction pile, which will be used in the second half of the game. And then there's one card you turn face up to the public area, and that's what the other players are going to get. So let's say in a three-player game, I draw one card, like, eh, I don't think that's that good. I'm going to put that in the public area. I'll draw another card. Hmm, that's pretty good, but I don't really want it. So maybe I put that in the auction pile. Then I draw one more card, like, oh, that's not good at all. So that, I'm going to put that in the face-up area. Well, that means 
I've only got one card left to draw. I have to keep it no matter what it is. So it's interesting. You can decide which one to keep, but once you decide, it's there. And then the other players in turn order will get to pick the cards that were turned face up. You keep doing that until the whole deck is out. And by the end of it, you'll have a hand of cards. And in the second half of the game, you'll auction for the cards that were put in the auction pile using coins that were earned on the cards in the first half of the game. Um, and the whole goal of the game is simply to be the strongest in different colors. Like if you're the strongest in orange, you'll score X number of points. If you're the strongest in green, you'll score X number of points. Um, and you want to have the most points by being strong in hopefully at least a couple colors, you know. Um, so it's it's so simple, but it's brilliant. It's the kind of game I wish I hadn't thought of. It's so good. And literally the last game, and that sounds like a ton of games, but you got to realize I went back well into 2022 to pull these games. Um, so, yeah, I played quite a few games since I last recorded. But, it's, you know, considering it's been a year since I've recorded, I, I don't think it was really enough to have an episode, you know, even every couple weeks. But I feel like things are turning around a little bit. If nothing else, my son's getting old enough. We're starting to play some very simple games with him. Um, I know some of you don't really want to hear about kids' games, but we're just trying to play some more. We'll put it that way. We'll, so it's possible. It's possible. I'm not going to promise anything. It's possible there could be some more episodes. But the main game I want to talk about is um, Dinosaur Island Roar and Rot. And that's Dinosaur Island R-A-W-R and then N-Rot, apostrophe N-Rot. <laughs> It's a kind of ridiculous name. I'll be honest, this is a kind of dumb name, but it is not a dumb game. So Dinosaur Island, I'm did we review that on this show? Gosh, it's been so long since I played it. I don't know if we have. Um, when is the last time I played Dinosaur Island? That's actually very relevant because it's the point I want to make about this particular game. And you know what? It's discouraging to me to be how to see how long it's been since we played Dinosaur Island. Oh my gosh. Wow, that's so freaking depressing. Well, the good news is I played Dinosaur Island eight times. And for a squarely middleweight Euro game, a thematic Euro game, to play any game in my collection eight times, honestly, is pretty good. But for a game of that length and that takes that long to set up, eight plays is really good. But sadly, it's been since August of 2020. So it's been since like square in the pandemic is the last time we played this game. Man, that is, that's honestly discouraging. Um, I did not realize it had been that long. It looks like one, two, three, four games were just me and my wife. And then uh, a few more games with Kurt and Kelby. And once with uh, Johnny and Derek and Adam. So yeah, I've played Dinosaur Island two to four players. We really love the game. Some people aren't a fan of Dinosaur Island, and I understand why. And I think, I mean, you just, no, everybody's not going to like every game. But I think maybe one of the reasons some people bounce off Dinosaur Island, because let me be clear, me and my wife and everyone I've played it with, I believe, just think it's great. I mean, it's it's one of my wife's favorite games. She says it every time I bring it up, um, which makes it even more sad we've not played it in three years almost. But the reason I think some people might bounce off of it is the reason we've not played it in almost three years. I mean, besides having children and blah, blah, blah. It's a bit of a beast to set up. It's, it's a bit of a beast to set up and to get back into if you've not played it in ages. 
But the thing about Dinosaur Island is, honestly, once you've played that one game, once you have that first game under your belt, it is so smooth. And some people who've only played it one time may not believe this, but the theme really does come through. It's not really... uh, The theme isn't really like about attacking or fighting with dinosaurs or anything that exciting. The theme is creating dinosaurs and creating a dinosaur park. It's the Jurassic Park thing, basically. Um, And I think it really comes through. You're building dinosaurs with DNA. You're building paddocks for them and making space for them in your park. Your visitors come through and sometimes they get eaten if your security's not high enough for the level of threat (laughs) these dinosaurs pose. Your big carnivores are going to pose more threat, but also bring more excitement. There's just a lot going on. You got rides you can add to your park and attractions. We love the game, honestly, but there's a lot going on. The very first time you teach it is a bit much, but it's honestly very smooth after that. But one thing that has not not gotten better with time, there's not good organization in the box. They just pile everything in there, and there's so many pieces. There's so many different pieces to the game, and we love like what most of those pieces do, but a part of me does feel like Dinosaur Island could have been a better game. Although we like some of those rough edges, to be honest. But it would be a game that at least got pulled to the table more often if they had maybe pulled back a little bit, shown a little restraint, and left out some of those things or streamlined some of those things. And I hate to say that because it is such a good game, but I I think it could have used some streamlining, some stripping back a little bit. Um, And here comes Dinosaur Island Roaring Right. Now, my relationship with rolling right games is I think they're overdone right now. Like, everything has to have a rolling right version. And it starts to get a little tiresome. Um, I've really enjoyed, I think, one of the games that popularized the genre. Although there's no dice in it, so it's technically a flipping right. But that is uh, Welcome To. Welcome To is about designing a neighborhood. And it can play with, I think you can basically play that game with as many sheets of paper and pencils as you have. Um, so you can play it with a big group. Everybody takes turns at the same time. And it's just a fun game. Welcome to is just a really fun game. Um, but I have not bought a ton of rolling rights. Um, like I said, I feel like they are a little bit overdone. But Fleet the Dice game I've talked about on this show very much. Love that game. I, I've mostly played it solo. I, it's my favorite game to just chill, chill out and play if I'm going to play a solo game. Uh, Fleet the Dice game. Um, I have some others I've enjoyed um, blanking on any names right now. But anyways, I have a few. But honestly, I probably would not have even checked out Dinosaur Island Roaring Right, except I kept hearing people say that it's really good, and some people even liked it more than the actual Dinosaur Island game. So I finally decided to get it, and we played it over a short, we just took a little short midweek trip to a cabin this past this week. And it was really fun. And we got to play it uh, as a four-player game with me and my wife, Anna, and uh, Kelby and Kurt. And then my wife and I played it just last night, just as a two-player game. So I played it twice now. And I'm not even going to do a full in-depth review. I'm just going to say why I think it works and what value I think it's showing me that rolling rock games really can have especially in a time when time is limited uh, like it is for me right now. So the reason 
I'm just going to say the reason Dinosaur Island, Roar and Rot has, has been so good. Just, I mean, I've only played it twice, but it's been so good to me. Those, for, those two games is because it really does capture the book. Not all, not 100%, but I'm going to say 85 to 90% of what we really do enjoy about Dinosaur Island Probably 90% of the best parts of Dinosaur Island are captured in one form or another, are captured in this game. But it has, I'm just going to throw out a number, 10% of the components. Dinosaur Island is a bear to set up. Like, it just takes a long time to set up. Like, you've got to be committed. It's a long, it's a pretty long game to play, especially like four players. And you got to add another however long to that to set it up and to tear it down when you're done. I'm not going to exaggerate. Once you know how it works, Dinosaur Island Roaring Right can be set up in 30 seconds. 30 seconds. In fact, I'll tell you exactly how you set the game up right now just to show you how simple it is. All right. Every player needs two sheets of paper um, and a pencil. Two sheets of paper and a pencil. Uh, they're, they're special printed paper that comes in the game. Of course, you can laminate them if you want to, and I plan to, and use dry erase markers, but it comes with a big old pad, two pads, one for each type of paper. So each player needs two sheets and a pencil. Ten chunky dice go in a red velvet bag. Small board goes in the center of the table. And then you need three specialist cards and three building cards, which you can pick randomly out of each pile. Put the other cards back in the box, and you're ready to go. I'm not kidding. I'm not being facetious or whatever. That's the setup. The only thing that might take you some time with the setup is their specialist and building cards. There's a stack of each, a pretty good size stack, but you only use three in each game. If you're truly random about it, well, that's it. Your setup's done. If you want more control, you can draft those cards, like so you can decide as players which cards go in the game. The rule book lists that as a variant for expert players. But to just play the game as it's made, I explained to you the whole setup, and I love that about it. Now, while the rulebook is excellent, it really is excellently done, there's still, there's still a bit of bulk to the rules because there's still a lot of Dinosaur Island in this game. Like, you're still making dinosaurs with DNA dice. You're still putting your dinosaurs in your park. You're still having uh, getting specialists that are like making your game better, building up your engine, so to speak. There's special buildings you can put in your park. But it's all streamlined and kind of cuts away the fat. For example, if you play Dinosaur Island, you probably remember when you're, and I don't even remember what it calls it. In the Roar and Rock game, it calls it running your park. This is when you actually collect your excitement and points from what you've done that round. Running your park. It's it's called something similar in the in the original game. But in the original game, you know, you're drawing meeples out of a bag, you're sending them into your park, and it was fun, but I remember that whole phase feeling a little just ever so slightly clunky. And like it could have been a little smoother, maybe. Well, the Roar and Right game really streamlines it. If you have more threat than security, then you lose, you you get one death. You get one death per threat that was not secured. Um and once you hit these little exclamation points on your sheet, once you have to fill one of those in, because you've had too many deaths, then a disaster happens. And basically, you get to pick what bad thing happens, but they're all bad. 
You might lose some dinosaurs. You might lose DNA. You might lose a, a specialist or a building. You know, it kind of represents maybe somebody got eaten. Maybe a building got trampled. <laughs> um, maybe some research got destroyed. It, it's it's thematic, but it's just done simply by circling which thing you want to happen, basically. But it's very avoidable. Like, we've actually not had a death, or at least a disaster in our park, I don't think. Because we're very scared of it to happen, so we just make sure it doesn't happen. It's a balance of getting security every turn, you know. But all right, so the, basically the way it works, the rules are substantial, but they're just full, they're chock full of details. They're assuming you've never played Dinosaur Island. To be honest, if you've played Dinosaur Island, this game is pretty stinking easy to learn. If you haven't, you're just going to have to read the rules thoroughly. It just is what it is, you know. Um, but basically, you draw dice out of the bag. It's always two times the number of dice per player plus one. So in a two-player game, you're drawing five dice. In a four-player game, you're drawing nine dice. And the dice are a little different. They have different things on the sides. And then, in turn order, you draft a die. Like, ooh, I want that die. And whatever's on the die face, you collect that resource immediately. If it's two blue DNA, you collect two blue DNA. If it shows a roller coaster, you get to build a roller coaster immediately in your park. There's no claiming resources to build a roller coaster. You just do it. Um, if it shows two coins, you spend those two coins right away. You can store up to five coins throughout the game, but usually you're just going to be spending them right away. And so, like, maybe this this new building you want to build costs eight coins. Well, you can check off two coins to work towards it. You know, you don't have to do it all in one turn. Anyways, everybody drafts a die. When it gets to the last player, that player then drafts again, and it snakes back around. It's called a snake draft. That player gets a second dice, and it goes back around the other way until everyone has two dice. And it's collected the resources. Then for the final remaining die, there's always exactly one die left over. Everybody gets that. But if there's any threat, these little red dots on the dice, if there's any threat on that leftover dice, everybody also has to collect that. So by the end of it, you will have collected three dice worth of resources. <clears throat> then, and I think this is so clever, you're not done with the dice because the dice become your workers in the second phase of the action phase. This is where the little board comes into play with different spaces on it. And this board has the same kinds of things that were in the base Dinosaur Island game, just streamlined. For example, there's a space that lets you build. Sorry, my throat is so dry. There's a space that lets you build up to four dinos. And making dinos in this game is as simple as crossing off the DNA you're using. If it's the first time you've built that kind of dino or created that kind of dino, you have to make a paddock. But it doesn't cost you anything to make a paddock. You just have to physically draw it on your board. And like the small carnivores have a smaller paddock than the large carnivores. So you need to have a pretty big chunk of space carved out for your large carnivores. Um, <clears throat> so like for the T-Rex, you have to have a paddock just for them. The Megalosaurus, you have to have a paddock just for them. But you only need one T-Rex paddock. You only need one Megalosaurus paddock. It's for each dinosaur type. Um... And I love how much they streamlined the paddocks because I remember that kind of being a thing that was just something you had to do in the base game, but it wasn't like the fun part of the game. On this, you don't need resources. You just draw the paddock. As long as you can fit it, you're good to go. But there's a limit. You can only build four of each type of dino. Like 
There's nine dyno types altogether. They're just printed right there on your sheets. So like to build the uh, the triceratops, and I'm just going to make up make it up here, but it might be a blue and a yellow DNA. So you cross off a blue and a yellow DNA. You you make the paddock if you don't already have one. You collect the threat if there is any. It depends on the type of dino. Then you collect the excitement on your excitement track, and that's it. Um. Dino's worth points at the end of the game. They're still a huge part of the game. So you got building dinos. You got one space that just simply lets you collect two coins or collect two security, which is how you keep deaths from happening in your park. And the coins are the main way you get buildings and specialists, which improve your game. Um, there's a space that straight up lets you build the one of the three attraction types. There's clothing stores, food stands, and roller coasters. And they each provide something different during the run the park phase, which is the second half of each round, which I'll explain. Um, you got a space that is just collect DNA. You got a space that lets you duplicate um, whatever your dice space is. And I, I like this space. I think this is new. I don't remember this from Dinosaur Island. So like, let's say you have two coins. It was one of the dice you picked up earlier in the first half of the round. Well, now you can use that duplicate space and collect four coins. But everybody else gets two coins still. <clears throat> or let's say it shows one of the special rare DNA. You can use the duplicate space and get two of that DNA. But everybody else gets one of it. Um, and I believe there's one more space, but that, you get the idea. There's just a few different places you can go. One of my favorite parts about it is it's a worker placement game, but you're using the dice as your workers. But if somebody's blocked a space you want to go to, you're not totally blocked out. You can always go to any space, but you have to collect the extra threat of whatever the topmost die is on that space when you go there. So if somebody wants to be really devious, and like let's say they know everybody wants to build some dinos this round, well, if they got a die with, say, three of the red dots on it that represents three threat, they can use that die as their worker on the build dino space, and now the next person that goes there is going to have to gain three threat if they want to build a dino. But like, let's say I put that there, then the next person puts a die on top of that. If their die has no thread on it, then the next person can go there for free. So it just depends what the most recently placed die is in the stack. And it ends up being a pretty cool mechanism. Because you can kind of block people, because nobody wants to get threat. Threat is nasty. But it might be worth it. It might be worth it if you really need the space. So you're not ever totally blocked out. Um. Anyways, you do that. There's three rounds of the game. You do that phase, drafting dice, then placing dice as workers, twice per round. The final thing you do in every round is run your park. And this is where the right-hand sheet of paper comes in. You just go from top to bottom. I believe the first thing you do is collect excitement or money or whatever it is from your attractions, your roller coasters, uh, your food stands, your clothing stands. You do that. Then you collect things from any specialist you've hired. If you've hired any specialists, they might give you extra excitement. They might let you build a bonus dino. They might help you build roads. Whatever, you, you do that. Then you take a tour through your park. And this is pretty cool. You trace a line with your finger, not actually with a pencil, from your park entrance along any roads and buildings that are connected by roads. And you get one excitement per building you pass through, basically. Um... And then 
if you end at an exit, you get to circle it, and it's worth points at the end of the game. And you'll get to do that three times during the game, because you'll run your park three times during the game to collect this bonus excitement and to hopefully end at an exit so you can get those bonus victory points. Um, the rules for building are so simple, and I love that so much. You can literally build anything anywhere you want to, as long as it's not touching another building, even at the corners, which is a little unusual. You basically got to have a one square space between everything. Roads, you never have to build a single road in this game if you don't want to. Your buildings do not have to be connected to anything. It's very simple, the building rules. But why do you want to use roads? Oh, one of the spaces lets you build three roads. That's one of the spaces I forgot on the board. Why do you want to build roads? Well, when you do your dino tour, buildings have to be connected by roads in order to do the tour, in order to get that bonus excitement for entering each building. Also, that's the only way that you can get the bonus points for ending your tour at an exit because you have to start at your HQ and end at an exit to to collect those points. Um, so roads are useful, but you don't have to connect everything. And I, and I appreciate that openness about it. Like um, sometimes you might forego connecting some things because you would rather get another carnivore created, you know, or something like that. So I, I appreciate the openness in that. <clears throat> Anyways, you, you run your park. After that, you get to collect. It's basically your income. Your excitement track has all kinds of bonuses on it. And as your excitement has built up and the game goes on, you're collecting coins, you're collecting bonus DNA, you're, you're collecting bonus security. You're getting all these bonuses that just build up throughout the game from your excitement track. But then after that, after you've got all your bonuses, you have to look at the death toll. If you still have more threat than you have security, then you have to have deaths. Um, and that's basically negative points at the end of the game. And like I said, if you get enough deaths, you start getting disasters. And they're basically really bad. <laughs> like you can lose dinosaurs, you can lose buildings, you know. Um, but you do get to choose. Uh, you do get to choose which disaster. But yeah, I played the game twice and I've not had a single death yet. I could have easily, but I've chosen to keep on top of my security. But again, I appreciate that it's not brutal. Like, if you want to avoid deaths in this game, I really believe you can. But you're going to have to kind of sacrifice earning points in other ways sometimes. So you can decide, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to, I'm just going to rack up the deaths. These dinos are going to run wild. But I'm going to get so many points because I'm going to have the most exciting park. I'm going to have four T-Rexes. I'm going to have all these Megalodons. And, um... I don't even know if Megalodon is in the game. <laughs> is that even a real dinosaur? But whatever. There's a Mega something. Um, and so you can just have the craziest park and not even care about security. And you'll probably have a lot more points than everybody else, but then you'll lose more points too. But it might work. That's the thing. You might be able to do that and get away with it. I'm just, I'm scared to have the disasters happen because they just seem so brutal. But if you play the game in a more risky way, you might make enough points to make up for it. So, again, it's your choice. But that's it. So you have the two action phases where you're drafting two dice, placing two dice in turn order, and then running your park. You do that three times, whoever has the most points wins. That's it. What's worth victory points? Every dino you created. The more exciting the dinosaur, the more points it's worth at the end. Um, your total excitement level on your excitement track the highest level you got to, you'll you'll get bonus points for that. Uh, 
All the specialists you hire are worth three points apiece. Um, the special buildings can be huge points. For example, my wife and I had a building last night called the First Aid Hut. And it's six points straight up. But if you have less than five deaths, it's another six points. And if you have zero deaths, it's another six points. And because I knew I was going to be playing it safe, because this is how I'm playing the game right now, to be honest, I, I went for that building, and it ended up being 18 points. Um, there was another building that was out uh, that uh, scored points for every attraction that was connected to that building. You know, there's buildings that score points for your total number of carnivore paddocks, you know, just all kinds of different things. Um, plus, everything gives you something as a bonus right away. Um, but anyways, your buildings can be pretty big points. In my experience, I think I've only gotten one building built each each game um, and like two specialists. So maybe I'm not doing very well, but I'm pretty sure you can't build everything. Like that would just be crazy. It, it would be hard to anyways. We'll put it that way. Um, so yeah, buildings. Um, I should have the sheet right in front of me, but I don't. Buildings, specialists, dinosaurs, your total excitement level. Every two leftover DNA is worth one point. Lose one point for every um, death you had. And I think that's pretty much it. Like, There's not a million ways to score points. But our games have all been tight so far. I think our parks have looked pretty different. Like We've done pretty different things, yet had really tight games. My wife beat me last night, 92 to 89. And I'll be honest, I felt like I was doing awesome. Like That's what I love about this game so far. I got second place out of four the first time I played, but I thought I was doing great. Last night, I was sure I was going to win, but I lost by three points. Like, that's what I love about it. You feel like you're getting a lot done and doing really well, even though somebody else might be doing better. But you don't really know until the game's over, so you just feel good while you're playing it. Yeah, so, whew. That's honestly longer than I meant to go on about it. But if you've played Dinosaur Island and your main complaint is just there's so much stuff in the box and it's a little bit overwhelming to set it up and tear it down, you have to get Dinosaur Island roaring right. You will love I'm I'm confident you'll love it. The trickier question is, if you didn't really care for Dinosaur Island because of the gameplay, I don't know what to tell you. It just depends what you didn't like about it. I've described Dinosaur Island Roar and I, after playing it twice, as 90% of the good stuff, like roughly 90% of the good stuff from Dinosaur Island with only 10% of the setup, only 10% of the components. And for me, that's a great trade-off. The question is, Dinosaur Island is still a blast. And it's, the th it's, it's one of the most thematic Euro-style games. Because it's a Euro game. Like, it's a strategy game. But the theme is so much fun. The pat the neon colors, they look so 1980s. I love, I love the way it looks. Personally, I don't think I'm going to be able to get rid of Dinosaur Island. For one thing, it's one of my wife's favorite games. And I just, I just love the way it plays. But I tell you what, this, this game, instead of replacing Dinosaur Island... What it's done is it's given us this Dinosaur Island fix in a time frame we can actually play on a weeknight, um, which we would never do with Dinosaur Island. <laughs> so I really appreciate it for that. So as of right now, uh, I've actually gone on Board Game Geek and rated Dinosaur Island Roar and Write a 9 out of 10 um, because it captures, again, like 90% of the, 
of what I love about Dinosaur Island. It's not 100%. Like, I love pulling the meeples out of the bag and sending them into my park and watching some of them get eaten. Um, you know, I, I like the plastic dinosaurs, even though the game only came with pink dinosaurs that all looked the same originally. Um, I, I love seeing the graph. There's more graphics, you know, there's more art in the main game because there's simply more stuff on the table. But I really love all that art in the game. Uh, the Roar and Rock game has the same great art. It looks very similar. There's just not as much of it. Um, but yeah, so it's not 100%, but I'd say it's about 90% of what was so good about Dinosaur Island with so much less effort involved. And I guess I've come around to realize that's probably the value for me. The value of the role and right genre, which if you don't know, is literally you're rolling dice and then writing something on a paper, which is very much what you're doing in this game. The benefit of that genre is when it's done well and done really well like it is here, it can provide a lot of the same experience as a bigger game with a lot of components, but way less time and effort involved. And that's what this game does. This could have been a cash-in. It could have been a pale imitation of a great uh, game. Instead, it's a great version of that game that very much has a place in my collection. Um, now, I've gone on about how much easier it is to get into than Dinosaur Island. It's so much less setup time. But again, if you've never played Dinosaur Island before, it's still a bit to learn. I mean, it's as, I would say this is pretty close to a medium-weight game. It's light-medium. Um, this is not like a beginner game. That being said... You know, I think most people, if you're listening to this and you stuck out with it, then then you're determined and smart enough to figure the game out. Like, there's no question. And I do highly recommend it. Yeah, Dinosaur Island, Roaring Rock. Gets a 9 out of 10 from me. Cardboard Cave approved. And, um, hey, I'm looking forward to doing more of these. If, if anybody's listening, um, I have an Instagram page, Cardboard Cave, and a Facebook cave page, Cardboard Cave. Check them out and just let me know, hey, I... I saw you put out a new episode it was garbage but i just wanted you to know i'm listening i would appreciate it in the meantime meantime in the meantime take care and uh maybe i'll see you uh, a little sooner this time